so my horse went lame and there was an advanced horse that was available for not a lot of money. And Jimmy Wofford was able to procure it for us on a Tuesday. And then I rode the world championship selection trial course on Saturday. Uh, yeah. From prelim to like you know, three star advanced in like one in four days and on a horse I'd never ridden. And it went well. I was thinking I was 10th out of like 60 horses and it was the horse liked me. I liked it and it was fine. And that sort of got everybody's attention. And, and so the day I graduated from high school, uh, Jack called my parents and said, uh, I think we can use your kid up here. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans. Like always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Exhibitors. We love Exhibitors, Karen. Yes, and this week we'd like to feature the Quick Sheen Coat Polish. Quick Sheen Coat Polish. Yes, it provides detangling benefits, which help for the removal of burrs and debris from manes and tails, making grooming easier while saving time. Results will be show-stopping brilliance, leaving your horse feeling and looking soft, silky, and radiant. Dang. That's what I'm talking about, Karen. Yeah, Soft, silky, and radiant. Yeah, it also helps uh, repel dust and dirt. Yeah, keep that stuff on there, and it keeps the dust and dirt from laying on mm-hmm. your horse and getting on better than those hair. So yep. that is some fantastic stuff. We've used it, and we love it. And uh, if you want to see it in action, watch our video where we took care of old Max and gave him a bath. And... Uh, we finished him off with a couple spritzes of that, and it was uh, really, really topped him off nice, right? Yeah, he shined like a diamond. Shined like a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> so, like they say, groom like you mean it. Hey, Rob, we got another five-star review. Oh, awesome. I love those. Can you give it a read? Sure. Uh, it is by Victoria M. Uh, she says, awesome podcast for eventers. I love listening to this podcast on the way to school and the way to horse shows. This podcast helps me keep up with the crazy world of eventing, and I love to learn more about my favorite eventers. Oh, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Yes, very nice. Victoria, you're our favorite. You're our new favorite reviewer (laughs) of all time. The reviewer of the week, Karen. There we go. That's it. That's the reviewer of the week. Reviewer of the week. Oh, there we go. All right. She's the inaugural. Victoria, you are the inaugural reviewer Viewer of, of the, the week, week. <laughs> thank you so much i'm karen and i'm rob karen super special guest on the major league eventing podcast yes. today. i am so excited for this person we've been uh, it's been a long time coming we couldn't wait to get him on thank you for joining us pan am gold medalist and writer for huh. the chronicle packy mcgon karen oh, welcome to welcome. the show that's you got it right. That's exactly. I've been McGowan and McGoffin and McGoggahan and all kinds of things. <laughs> McGoggahan, that's the best. Yeah. Patrick McGoggahan. No, so it, it, we asked you before the show. We want to make sure we say everyone's name right, and it was McGon. Like mm-hmm. if McDonald's had a burger right. called Gone, the McGon. Right. Love it. Perfect. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. This, this is great. Really exciting. It's my pleasure. Oh, man, this is yeah. great. So we always, uh, as we kind of get rolling in the show, we, we just like to get an idea. People are always traveling in the eventing business. Um, we just like to get an idea. Where are you coming to us from right now? I am in Clarksburg, Maryland. 
Clarksburg. So uh, at my family farm in Clarksburg, Maryland, which is about, oh, uh, 15 minutes from Lockmoy and okay. an, about half an hour from Seneca Valley. And um, yeah, right here in uh, central Maryland. Yeah, that's awesome. Ground zero for yeah. area two. Boom, boom. Yeah, we don't we don't stable very often. We don't have to we don't have to stay overnight very often. That's yeah, no. I love it. Beautiful area. We love too. it down there too, Karen. And every yes. time we get yeah. down there, we we typically every time we're down there for like a show, we tend to like drift off into some craft brewery somewhere and either Frederick or where did we go last time? We went to Leesburg. <laughs> yeah, Leesburg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I love it down there. It's nice. Yeah, it's awesome. beautiful. Right. <laughs> uh, so, Packy, one thing we love to do is we love to go back and hear your history. And um, so could you tell us how you actually got your start in riding and then into eventing? Yeah, my family had horses in, in Texas and in Nevada. And then that was when I was very young. And then we moved back east and uh, bought this farm that we have now. And um, I grew up in Pony Club, riding uh, show horses and fox hunting and doing eventing. And um, my mother was very interested in dressage. So she was competitive at one time in dressage and still trains people. And um, we've been, you know, breeding horses, training horses and, um, and showing horses since uh, at, at this farm since 1973 or 74. Wow. So, yeah. And um, I was a member of the Frederick Pony Club, which is a capital region pony club. Uh, I'm a graduate A from there and um, did uh, when, when the day I graduated from high school, I went to the U.S. equestrian team to be rider in residence with Jack Lickoff. And that was wow. 1981. So. What does a rider? That's how I got my start. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. And, and now, what does a? That's I, I, that was perfect. That was awesome. The uh, I, I love it. Like the, the pony club, mm-hmm. you, you hit all the high spots. That's great. Yeah. Can you explain? Yeah. We don't have riders and residents today. What What is that? What was that back then? Like, what was the purpose? Well, when when the when the U.S. Equestrian Team was founded, it, we didn't have a whole lot of of competitions or serious riding in this country. We had. We had uh, some wealthy people and some and some people who had horses for did horses for a living, but we didn't have a long history of equestrian uh, arts and um, and study. We didn't have a Spanish riding school or a cadre noir. And so, in the fifties and early sixties, um, the U.S. equestrian team was formed in at Gladstone, and um, several international. Uh, coaches were hired, and in, I think, 1972, 70, 72 or 71, Jack Lagoff was hired to do the eventing uh, team uh, at Gladstone, and then he um, promptly d- set us on a path um, that I could probably tell you, if you had about a, a day, I could probably go minute by minute <laughs> and tell you the entire history uh, verbally. Um, uh, Jimmy Wofford can do the same thing uh, that's because he lived it. I just watched it. Um, but Jack started with very few events and very few riders and very few horses and the U S eventing association, which turned 60 this year, um, which is, you know, uh, it's not that old an organization, Mm -hmm. but it had, um, I can remember when I knew members who had, uh, membership numbers that were in the teens. And, you know, like I'm member number 17 or member number 22, you know, it's like, I'm, I think my member number was four digits when I first started. So, um, and, 
Evening was just growing. Area one was sort of the epicenter of it because that's Jack moved the U.S. Equestrian team to Hamilton or South Hamilton, Massachusetts, to a a place called Brackenside on Bridge Street in in, in South Hamilton, and um, be, because he moved because uh, the ground around Gladstone was too rocky and hard and unpredictable to train horses full time there, so he moved his event horses there. And he said about making it possible, he, what he would do is he would go and uh, ask owners to purchase good horses uh, internationally and young horses and so on. And he would train them at that facility and then select riders for them um, from among the group of people he was training. And I think for 12 years, every two or three years or so, he would do talent searches and he would bring promising young riders to South Hamilton and have them live there with him and help develop these young horses. And this was, um, this was sort of like going to college for, for riding. Yeah. And, uh, you would, you would never had, you never were riding without supervision and you were learning his way of doing things and you sort of were immersed in it, sort of like, like people immerse themselves in, in foreign languages to learn them. He was teaching us all about horsemanship and how to train and how to show all at the same time. And so there were team owned horses like Ballycore and Golden Griffin and, and, um, Alex, who I rode and Bluestone, who I also rode, um, that were given to, you know, major riders to be team and gold medal horses at, at the Olympic Games and at, um, at Pan American Games and World Championships. Um, that system. Once Jack had sort of sown the seeds and developed riders like Michael, well, Michael Plum was already developed, but he had, you know, promoted riders like Bruce Davidson and Jimmy and Tad Coffin and, and Michael Plum and Torrance and Torrance Watkins, Karen Stives, some others. And then the sort of B team that I was on with, uh, with uh, let's see, Derek DeGrazia, uh, Beth, uh, Beth Perkins, B Perkins, Wash Bishop, and Mike Huber. We were all young riders. I was a little later than them, but we were all young riders who were brought there to be sort of the the lowest on the totem pole of riders training at the center full time. Um, and when I was there, I was there with Karen Stives. She was trying to, um, in 1981, she was really, she had already been to the alternate Olympic Games as an individual the year before. And she was really trying to develop a great string of horses that, in fact, brought her to um, to develop Ben Arthur, her silver medal and gold medal horse from LA Games. So these, it was a, a real process and a real sort of, he, he sort of studied the way he was going to do it. And he set out to create riders and, and to obtain horses. And at the same time he was doing that, he was promoting the development of events at which he could test these riders. So he was responsible for creating pretty much the sport of eventing in area one and area two, which is where it was mostly concentrated. We had some events out West with Pebble beach and Woodside and some of the others, but it wasn't a huge sport nationally. In fact, it was pretty tiny, but because he was such a great horseman and because the people that he selected were naturally gifted and extremely, uh, extremely committed to doing well, uh, they were able to go to Europe and compete against the best in the world and win medals. So it was really a, a fascinating time. Once, once those people sort of graduated out of the, out of the system, they, they sort of outgrew it. They went out and became their own professionals and made their own barns. And they then passed on those, those techniques to younger riders and, 
and tried to develop their own sort of look-off systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where Mark Phillips came in as our team coach. And um, he was able to build on that a little bit. But since Mark Phillips, we've sort of been floundering and, um, and haven't really, we haven't really, the sport in our country hasn't really kept pace with what was going, with what is going on in Europe and so on. So that's one of the reasons why we're having trouble uh, putting together successful international teams, I think, is that, is that we need to look at sort of the health of the sport and move it along. But the team system stopped being the team system in about 1987 or 88. They closed the training center at Hamilton, uh, in South Hamilton, and um, that sort of began sort of a long slide of uh, uh, where the sport has sort of waned in that area. Um, but I tell you, if you, when I was a kid, if you hadn't, if you weren't thinking about going to Ledyard or, or Flying Horse Farm or Groton House or or training with the team, if you didn't know that that little section of the North Shore in Massachusetts you weren't really playing the sport. So um, it's very different now. It was very, it was, and very different back then. So how about that? And so see, I'm so glad you explained that really well, because I was always curious about, you know, I, I was always curious about what that meant, rider and residents and all that stuff. And then when they disbanded it, so, so you, you, live live there was it like a rent-free like you just kind of were like yeah you you lived rent-free all you had to pay for was your food gotcha and and you didn't you weren't a groom you weren't paid um but you rode fabulous horses every single well, month sometimes some of them were, weren't fabulous <laughs> some were awful um, <laughs> um but uh, but you know generally you were exposed to extremely good horsemanship we had the best vets uh, in the world. Marty Simonson was just one of the best vets I'd ever, I've ever worked with. Um, the horsemanship inside the barn was stellar. And um, the people that were committed to the success of the US, U.S. equestrian team were just remarkable um, people. They loved the sport and they were really devoted to it. So, wow. you know, you got to meet Neil Ayer and General Burton and all of these people that lived in lived in this one town that were just really sort of responsible for creating eventing in America. And you got selected out of all these kids in America to come and be the next Bruce Davidson or be the next Michael Plum. So that's what they were hoping. Now, it, once you got there, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Oh, he sure. was, he's, he's not, he's not an easy person to ride for um, because he came from the cavalry and he was very tough. And he had standards. And if you didn't meet the standards, you, you were treated very much like an adult. I think I was 17 and a half when I got there and I left, I felt like I was 90 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that like today's, uh, like the under 18 and under 25 program, is that, do you think that's similar in like, uh, like, no, it's not, it's not, I think that it tries to be, uh, but it's, it's almost impossible. To remember, I didn't. I didn't own a horse. I didn't have to own a horse. I rode seven horses a day for him, and um, or you know, I have six maybe, and um, and I didn't have to own any of them. It was a, it was a privilege, yeah. and people, yeah. you, 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 the the competition for that job was was fierce. And so you know, when a seventeen year old kid gets picked to come up there, and I had a lot of twenty two year olds who wanted to kill me because <laughs> um, you were 17 okay gotcha. yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean i was like that I, I i know karen karen o'connor was not pleased oh. 
<laughs> so, so when I got that done, she didn't. But you know, I don't know. We've we've worked it out since yeah. then. So, um, so. A little time, but um, yeah, but yeah. I mean, that was a it was a a very different time. And no, so so to make the under twenty fives or the under eighteens now, you have to have access to your own horse, or you have to have shown success on your own animal and you get selected or, or talent spotted by a trainer mm-hmm. and by, or by the selection committee. And you go for 10 days, maybe once a year, twice a year, maybe. And, um, and you get exposed to some very sophisticated training. Leslie law is one of the best horsemen I've ever met. Um, Eric Devander's quite good. I like him as well. I think David O'Connor, when he was doing it was really good. Uh, you know, these people aren't, aren't idiots, but they don't have the, um, the assets or the, the, the resources to give to these kids what, what I was given. I mean, what I was given was total immersion into a system that was dying because it, it, it was with Jack. I mean, as, as every year Jack got closer to being gone, that system was going to be gone with him. Wow. So, oh, that was it. Okay. Now, and how long were you a resident rider there? About a year and a half. Okay. And then yeah. you went on to go to college after that, or how, how did, how did that all work? Like you had this opportunity and then why would you go back to college or, or uh, I don't know, like. Maybe well, that's, that's, a, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, uh, I can't, the way I got to the U S question team was um, I had a preliminary horse that, that, that Jack was doing a talent search was, this is 1981 this spring or early spring. And, um, and he did a talent search and a bunch of, I think about 500, 600 people applied. And he had these little horse trials all around the country that night, a preliminary horse that I had been looking good on, but I had been, I had been sort of at the at home rider for Jimmy Wofford and, and Torrance when they had gone off to Fontainebleau the year before. So I had ridden advanced horses. I'd just never shown advanced. And so my horse went lame and there was an advanced horse that was available for not a lot of money. And Jimmy Wofford was able to procure it for us on a Tuesday. And then I rode the world championship selection trial course on Saturday. Wow. Uh, yeah. From prelim to like you know, three-star advanced in like one in four days and on a horse I'd never ridden. And it went well. I was thinking I was 10th out of like 60 horses and it was the horse liked me. I liked it and it was fine. And that sort of got everybody's attention. And, and so the day I graduated from high school, uh, Jack called my parents and said, uh, I think we can use your kid up here. And he said, well, there's a problem. Uh, he's already been accepted to Duke University. And so I put that on hold for a year. And so it was from then until the following summer that I rode for Jack. Gotcha. So, oh, wow. And then once, um, once I rode an advanced horse called Alex and I had an advanced horse called Bluestone, well, Bluestone went prelim and then went advanced um, with me. And then uh, he was, those horses were given to Jimmy Wofford and Michael Plum. And, um, and then I, I decided to go off to school because all Jack had for me to ride were babies, you oh. know, horses under, under five, under six, gotcha. who guess, weren't, who were not competing. So I, I figured, that a, well, that was a downside to, to get the to college. That was a downside for the pro for, for that program. Then like, here you are like going up, 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 and they're giving you the horse. And then if they decide, Oh, we're going to, pull that horse from you, then you're. Yeah, that, that's part of the program though. I mean, you, you know, you are, a, you are a tool that Jack is using to develop great, 
great teams and great horses. He needs good riders. And in the process, you're going to be exposed to all kinds of people and all kinds of things. And 17, 18 years old, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. But yeah. the sport was not big enough for me to take my, you know, I was one of the top 20, 24 riders in the country wow. at the time with almost no experience and younger than everybody. I think Mike Huber had been as young. Um, but I, the sport for me, it was, do I want to go and eat, you know, Doritos and, <laughs> and, and diet for the rest of my, you know, the next five years, or do I want to go off to my nice university and get an education and possibly come back? And so there was really no option for me. I just like, if you get into, if you get into a good school for me, it was, there was, because the sport didn't really offer, um, unless you were on the, uh, on an Olympic team and had a gold medal, it was very hard to make a living in the sport. Wow. Very tough. Wow. Very tough. Wow. Because you're, uh, you know, you, uh, why would somebody come train with me when they could train with Bruce Davidson just as easily? Or why would they train with me when they could train with Michael Plummer, Jimmy Wofford just as easily? Right. And so that's the, that's the, that was the choice that you faced back then. I really wish that we had the ability to give kids better options. You know, if they, if they meet, I've got a, I've got a working student now here who is taking a gap year and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be happy if he tries to take an, another gap year after that, because he's got to get, he's got to go to school. They got to go get that done. And then, then they have options on the backside. They can always come back to it. Gotcha. So, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the one example of a kid in that position that I, I think has done it really well is Emma Klugman. She is, has been riding with me for four or five years and maybe longer, actually longer. And, um, and she also went to Duke. So, and, but she took her horses with her. I could never do that. Gotcha. I would, I've, I was so distracted by all of the things college offers. I was like, Oh, look, a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we we interviewed emma and she was like oh you gotta yep. get pacquiao and so that's she's one of the many people actually that reached out to us and said you gotta have pacquiao um oh well that's nice yeah it's really cool uh and that was interesting talking to her when we talked to her we talked yeah. about the juggling yeah. college and two horses and coaching people yeah that whole thing um so you went on to become an attorney is that correct yeah and um in 1987 i graduated from college and I uh, went to law school at University of Maryland. And it was the same year I was on the Pan Am team. Wow. I, uh, I had a light yes. semester in the spring of 87. And um, I had ridden uh, my mother's gray horse called Panzer at preliminary. And then when I was in college, we had asked Torrance Watkins to ride him. And she had moved him from preliminary to advanced. And then um, he was available for uh, at the end of 1986. He was available for, you know, whatever. And I only had a very light semester and the Pan Am games were coming up and Jimmy Wofford said, you really ought to just get back into it. And I hadn't actually shown in like four years, I think. Jeez. Uh, four years. I hadn't ridden a horse at one point in for 18 months. Wow. So, and then um, I made my mother get the horse fit. So she galloped <laughs> him and, and I would meet him at the horse shows and we took them to Florida, did some, did some jumper shows, did some dressage shows, and I sort of slowly crept up the ranks until I was second at Rolex. So wow. they put me on the Pan Am team, and then I was third individually at the Pan Ams. Uh, but you know the clinching score for the gold medal, uh, gold medal team score. Wow. 
So, and then after that, I went to law school and then took a semester off during law school to ride him before Korea. And we didn't make the Korean team because he got, he tied up at the, uh, at the final selection trial. He pulled him, you know, he, he, something went wrong. I think it was tying up. And, um, and then I leased him out and I went to law school and did that. And then I became a professional lawyer. (laughs) And was that like the end of your like upper level riding career? Like, did you continue? I didn't, I didn't ride above preliminary again until 2000, I think. Um, And uh, what I did was I, you know, when you're, when you're trying to be a lawyer, especially a young lawyer, you're, you're supposed to devote all of your waking moments, every moment of the day to trying to kill the other associates in your law firm (laughs) where you're, you're trying to dominate them. And, you know, it's a real game. And so I was actually a general counsel for a financial consulting company, um, ended up moving to New York to, to help run a brokerage, uh, house there. Um, pretty much hated my life because I was living on the, during the week, I was living in New York City at the 50, 33rd floor of a building at 57th and 7th Avenue. You know, it's even the plants were plastic. I mean, this is not the way I was, yeah. I wasn't yeah. raised that way. Right. So, and, um, and it was a, it's a very, it can be a very rewarding business to be an investment banking, but n- the people I did it with were, were a little bit um, fast and loose and, <laughs> I didn't like having to be their general counsel because I, and the New York Stock Exchange general counsel knew my name and I didn't oh, like really? that. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> anyway, so we, I left New York in 98 and then went back to horses for about four years. I purchased a, a, a sort of a, a, a sort of a quirky advanced horse from Mar de Pew and rode him and rode some other horses. And then after four years decided I needed I needed to make some money. So I went back to the law again. And uh, so I came in and out of the sport two or three times, I think. Wow. I think that's cool. So it was, yeah. That's cool. Like, yeah, you know, you, I'm kind of a a type of person who likes variety. (laughs) (laughs) Variety Now, are you still currently practicing law or or are you? I, I I consult with a, a few people on different things. I have a friend of mine who I used to work for, who will call me and ask me to help her out with stuff. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, um, I don't like practicing law, but you know, the, the column that I write sort of, and my interests that now that I I can apply my professional life to the sport a little bit has been interesting. Um, I just finished a column on safe sport that, that talks a lot about constitutional problems and, Mm -hmm. and constitutional law. And that's a huge, huge, um, very complicated set of of uh, of, of legal questions. Sure. So oh, yeah. it's really it's it's not that fun to work through, but it's very interesting. And um, so that's interesting to me. And then and then also looking at the sport as a as a business because I was a business attorney. I was a, working for a financial consulting company, and we did vulture investing and bankruptcies and restructurings and things like that. Um, so looking at the sport you sort of see what's possible. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of interested in, in seeing where I can help the sport move forward and become a little bit more healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's, and that's a very complicated, very long discussion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. Anyway, so that's where I am now. I stopped practicing law for a uh, law firm. I, my last law for law job, I ended about 
10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. And I've been doing horses pretty much steadily since. And, um, and that's about, that's where I am. Gotcha. So. And the current business. So now with the horses full, you're saying you do, you know, the horses full time. Could you tell us about the horse business? What, you know, well, I, I really am. I, I, I don't ride that much. I'm well, it's not true. I'm riding every day a little bit. Um, but, um, we, my mother decided about 15, 12 years ago to start breeding horses, 13 years okay. ago to start breeding horses. And, um, because we knew we had always gone to Europe to import them and we knew we couldn't afford them anymore. Um, because the prices in Europe were, were big and, and, um, mom didn't want to spend that much money anymore. And she was, she had had her fling. And so she decided she would breed them. And so we started breeding horses. And so now we have like 10, 12 horses that we've bred that, um, that we work with. And, and I think we've sold two of them. <laughs> and um, but they're really, really spectacularly bred horses for yeah, they're warm blood thoroughbred types. Nice, and uh, so they're really nice. And hopefully, we'll see a few more come out this year. I've got um, one run, runs prelim down in Texas, uh, a horse called Calliope with Ann Adams. My Cuba rides it from time to time, and um, we've got uh, some others here that are really sort of very nice. Uh, Carly Gray rides one called Rumba, which is nice. It's a modif- going modified in prelim right now. Awesome. Um, but those, and then I've been teaching kids off and on. I've, well, I've been teaching kids off and on since I was, since before college, really. And um, I've always had sort of an affinity for teaching. So I have a lot of kids who rode with me in the two time zones that I was like, uh, like after 1998, I think, Lillian Hurd, Matt Flynn, and Daniel Classing are the three kids that you would know. And I, I was yeah. only teaching for like three or four years, and those all rode with me. And then um, before that, I had a couple kids, uh, the Scott sisters, and and then I've had some amateurs that rode with me off and on. And um, yeah, it's been. And now I've helped. Let's see, Ryan Keefe and Taylor Stewart, Emma. Okay. Um, I've got some others, and you know, I get calls from from. I think I might be the the preferred trainer of 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 a, a former Olympians. Well, not, you can't be a former Olympian, but like Torrance Watkins asks me to help her all the time, and that's so much fun because she's such an amazing rider. And Lyndon Wiseman is also one of my uh, good friends, and so I help her a lot. So yeah, I have a really rewarding uh, client base here that can keep me busy. Wow. And uh, and we we have a lot of fun. So you know we try to. We try to go someplace fabulous every year. Um, lately, it's been like the AECs or okay. something like that. And and, um, and then, of course, uh, I'm very close with Marilyn Little. And so she's involved me in, in her life a, a lot. Uh, I got to go where I've gotten to be part of her team, which is really rewarding and, and wonderful to be around. So it's a really interesting group yeah. that's right, you know, right here in Central Maryland. And then, you know, I've been around so long. Um, that I, you know, you have to say hello to everybody, you know, and that means that pretty much everybody at the horse show. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so. That's so funny. Do, do, do your students ship in or, or are you? Leo? Mostly they ship in. Yeah. Okay. They, they ship in or I, I sometimes drive to them. I have a, a nice little jumping field that I train on that has a good gallop and a, a nice set of natural fences and some show jumps. And we have a dressage ring here, and so that's it's you know convenient, and um, so I'm very, very comfortable with that. And but I also travel to Virginia, and I'll sometimes you know do clinics. I do clinics in Texas and out west, 
So, you know, yeah, my students generally, the close ones ship in anyway. That's really cool. And Emma lives so close, she just hacks over. Yeah, she, yeah, that, she, yeah, she, she did say that. Over the hill yeah. and she <laughs> yeah. said she's, uh, you know, she, she's working with Marilyn and stuff. So, yeah. you know, clearly you got the who's who of, of students in your, you know, in your stable. <laughs> and uh, now I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it it's is. super cool. Uh, you know, you're, you, I think anyone who's knows your view knows that, you know, you have strong opinions on things. If you, mm-hmm. um, with young riders, like, would you, would there be something in the back of your mind? Like, is there something that if you were, if you had the power and, and an unlimited budget, you would change about our system to kind of get young riders going? Would you reinstate like the, the rider and resident program or what would, what would you do? Well, um, I, I would definitely sort of expand their worldview. Well, first off, I think it's a, you know, I think the Rebecca farm, championships is one of the best horse shows in the world to go do that at. And I think that we're really, uh, I, it's upsetting to me that there are, uh, trainers in area two and area three and area one who don't even point their, their kids, their college age kids or high school age kids towards that event. It is, these kids will never get the, the, the experience of putting a horse on a plane or a long trip, flying somewhere else that they've never been having to deal with FEI stewards and all of this in a place they've, they've never seen riding. Of course, they've never seen for a team like uh, until they, until they make a squad that goes to Europe. I mean, it's just, and when is that going to be? Well, Mm -hmm. Caroline Martin just is getting it done and and she's doing it really, really well, but it's um, you know, that's, it's taken her several hundred thousand dollars, if not millions to get there. And, and, uh, you know, and she, I know that Carolyn actually did do the Young Riders program fairly, fairly, fairly well, but I really would like to see that event and the preliminary level, the one or two star championship now, uh, in the fall become these destination or goal events for our young riders and, and really have them compete head to head right from novice through training to, to preliminary or modified to preliminary. And then intermediate, but at intermediate, that's sort of where the young rider program sort of tops out. And a lot of these kids think that they're going to get to four star level or to, to Fair Hill at the three at the four star there, or, or Ocala or or you know Jersey Fresh or something like that or Bromont, and they they're pointing themselves there when they really ought to be for my for my money, they should be perfecting their skills at you know the intermediate level and below. And, and learn how to be winners amongst their peers and not trying to be an all-saran against Boyd Martin and Philip Dutton and, and Lauren Kiefer and those guys, because that's what's really happening. I mean, these people, it's very hard for us to identify who the up-and-coming kids are when they, when they come in 33rd out of 40, but everybody above them is much older and much more experienced. Mm-hmm. I, I'd much rather see them be, you know, the, the, see that event take on some importance and to be able to identify uh, a more consistent or a more, a more clear competitive ladder for these kids to go up on. So, you know, the first thing we're going to do is try to be an AAC champion. And the next thing we're going to try to do is make our area teams and the area teams should be novice training prelim, the whole thing, you know, it should end up, those programs should be the same in area one, area two, area three, area four, you know, the areas that can support them. um, That that's what, you know, those kids should be able to see a competitive ladder that takes them up to the college age. And then at, in, in, 
if they want to, once they're adults, if they want to come back to the sport or want to stay in the sport, well, they should be prepared to then take that step back and, and to have to compete as a professional against, you know, the likes of Boyd Martin and, and Philip Dutton and those guys. Gotcha. But, you know, the sport is not so well organized right now so that there's really a clear competitive ladder for these kids to go up on. Hmm. And so, you know, they get to the point where, you know, like Taylor, Taylor Stewart, she was the silver medalist at the North Americans last year. And she's, as to my knowledge, not riding at the moment. So, I mean, you don't want to lose these kids to, you know, to nothing. You know, you want to sort of see if you can keep them involved, keep them interested and keep them seeing a path upward and how to keep horses and inventing part of their lives as they as they mature. So I think that was one of the things that I was very lucky. My parents always had the horse. I didn't have to go out and buy the horse and I could just I was talented enough that I could come home sit the trot for two days and go win. <laughs> and, and that was, that was unusual, but it still was, it was still good. And I got my education and so on. Uh, or, or you have to be the, a freak like Emma and uh, Emma Klugman, who's Dean's list at Duke and, and has four horses and, and two of them are winners, you know, it's like pretty good. So it, it takes a lot of organization and so on, but I would really love to see, a, a much more clear competitive ladder that puts these kids, uh, that emphasizes these uh, inter-area championships and the, and the North American championships, and then possibly even, um, you know, invitational or tours of, of European events where they don't have to be with, with you know, where as sort of a, a reward. I mean, the United States, I think we've participated in the under 25s at, at Bramham a couple times. I think Jenny Karras and Caroline both did that, but it's not, it's not something that's really that big a goal for us. Yeah. So I'd love to see our, you know, our young rider program be a little bit better. Along with that, I think that the trainers have to be better and more focused. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, I think that the, the big time trainers, the big team riders get so invested in their, in, in their business models that having those kids with them, when they go to Aiken, when they go to these larger events, they, they, aren't, they, they don't have a schedule that sort of helps these kids get to the North Americans, so they don't emphasize it. Well, I don't want you going there because I want you to go to Great Meadow with me, or I want you to go to this event with me, or I want you to go to that event. So, you know, they tend to focus them on, on, uh, on the more professional uh, tours rather than the tours that are meant for them. Gotcha. Uh, so that's one of those things that I would like to see a little bit more of. I'd like to change the attitude amongst other, other trainers so that we could get, um, so that we could foment the, uh, more particip participation of under 21s and under 25s, make it more possible for them to have fun and for them to learn. Um, yeah, so that, that would be that, that would be the thing that I would, I, you know, I put that, like I said, I put that on the professional trainer riders because they've they've sort of de-emphasized those younger those young rider and junior awards and um you know I, when i was a kid if you weren't going to the harry t peters trophy at radnor in in october you you weren't playing the sport gotcha. you weren't you weren't you weren't part of the sport that's where everybody wanted to go yeah. and if you weren't trying out for your area two team or your area one team or your area three team you weren't part of the sport and that's the thing we had 60 kids put their names in for my area wow. two 
preliminary team. You know, and they had a they had a selection committee, and you had selection trials you went to. So in many ways, it was much more organized back then, and and much more popular because you know we only had the six events in the area two that were any good, and so we all went to the same ones, and we all were trying for the same four spots. So it's a very interesting difference between then and now. Yeah. So and it's not so much it's not it's not necessarily better today, especially if you're a kid. You know, I knew exactly how fast I could get to advanced and I short circuited that and I knew exactly what my goals were. And once I reached them at 17, uh, I didn't know where to go from there. So I went to college (laughs) at 17. Holy smoke. Are you are you on any of the USEA boards or anything like that? Like, Uh, no, I don't work well with others. Uh, I don't play well on those things. But Rob Burke and I are friends. Uh, he's a USCA, USCA you know, chief executive. I and mean, he keeps saying, "If you, uh, I think I'm on the strategic planning committee now. And uh, Max Corcoran's a good friend. So, um, But um, I now, recently right? was asked to brief the, the legal committee on the safe sport issue. And then I got off the phone as fast as I could. So it's like, it's like here, here you go. Bye. So. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I, uh, you know, we're trying to do our part, you know, we're, we're not on any types of boards or mm-hmm. anything, but we're trying to do our little independent part, you know, cause I don't know, we were on, I was on pony club committees and stuff and I don't play well with others. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's, the the, the 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 those sorts of uh, institutional um thing they they sort of move very very slowly and they disappoint you so i i just say, think i'm much more fascinated by innovation and the people who are doing things um on their own uh, on their own initiative like mark Bellissimo putting together tryon you know he say what you want about the man but my god i i went down there just after 18 months i walked around and i was like wow if he's able to do this in, in this amount of time, um, he's really changed. He's really changed yeah. the sport yeah. for yeah. us. Absolutely. And a lot of people think it was for the worse. I think it's not. I think it's for the better. I think um, the galloping lanes down there are pretty special. The, the WEG course was amazing. Um, the facility itself, when it's finished, will be great. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit disorganized and people get a little crazy, but, um, <laughs> that's the kind of innovation I'd like to see because it makes growth possible. Yeah. yeah. It makes growth possible. And, you know, putting, putting the AECs this year at, at the Lexington horse park is a huge move for the, for us. We all, we've always been shying away from it. You know, I was on the strategic planning committee in the year 2001, when we, we thought that up, we said, let's do an American eventing championship. This will give people, again, going back to a competitive ladder that they can, that they can move on, mm-hmm. that they can do, that they can plan for and, and have goals at, at basically every level. And I said, it should be a Lexington. And they went, no, no, too expensive. Every area should get to host it. I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, whoa, no. Um it's got to be someplace special. You know, badminton is badminton, Burley's Burley, Lexington's Lexington. Yeah. These events are at one location. They don't move badminton every right. year. Right. And, and everybody wants to go there. It's like, this is a special event and, and it should stay special. And by having it at Lexington, the epicenter of our eventing community, the, the one place where we can all go every spring to see the best sport in the world, 
um, having it there is just, it sparks an imagination in our competitors and makes them want to go. They're going to have over a thousand entries this year in the, in the AECs. And if, if it becomes big enough, it is my hope that we can one day get it sponsored so that people don't have to pay stabling or entry fees to get there. Wouldn't that be something? That would be be amazing. Amazing. So it would be, well, what an expense that you would be cutting out, you know, to help get more people coming, you know, it's incredible. It would be, it would be the, it would be the icing on the cake. I qualified for the ACs. I got qualified for the ACs. I get to go and it's not going to cost me anything extra except for my hotel room. Yeah. You know, Oh my God, that would end my gas to get there. Or maybe, maybe even you give travel grants to people from out West so they can get this since they have to come farther. Yeah. yeah. But until there is an equivalent site on the West coast, I don't think it should ever move. Yeah. Never again. You know, until you could, until the West coast has an equivalent community and a site with that kind of importance, uh, you know, I don't think they should move it. So we'll see. I think there's going to be, a, I thought Tryon got close. I think Lexington will get closer yeah. mm-hmm. to what we need that event to be, but that's the kind of innovation and the kind of thought thinking that I'd like to see um, the people who run this sport sort of employ when they're thinking about where do we want to be in five years, what kind of sport do we want to be in 10 years and where are we going to be in 20 years? And the, the way I've like been in the sport now for 45 years <laughs> and, um, and, and I can tell you that um, this, from a social point of view, we had the same competitors party at Chesterland in 1979 that we had at Aiken this this spring the same competitors party the same social event the same and it felt exactly as big there was no change it was the same kinds of people the same kind of community it was nice but mm-hmm. the sport hasn't changed that way so you know i want in 10 years for it to be on television or on the on, live streamed and i want it to be i would love to see it you know corporately sponsored by some big sponsors i'd like to see there be a stream of income created by that sponsorship that and, and by people, you know, by the, by the events that we throw a stream of income that doesn't include entry fees and doesn't include stabling and doesn't include, um, you know, I don't know, smart pack, you know, I would, although that's a nice, they're a good sponsor of the events. I would really like to see a national, you know, truck company or sure. something, some go. big company come in and, and, and throw some money at us. If we did that, then we could we could afford to bring teams or the best of Europe here three times a year, right? Yeah. Uh, and and challenge our guys to beat them instead of just the one time a year, hmm. you know. And it, we don't even get that many over from Europe for Lexington, yeah. and and when we do get them, they take our lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they take our lunch money. They take. I mean, oh, I, I would so love for uh, for an American to win next year. But, you know, if Michael Young brings Chipmunk over, we're dead. <laughs> so, you know, nobody's going to beat that horse. Yeah. Well, anyway, Karen, so Karen. That, that's the kind of thing. So 20 years ago, I was on the, on the Strategic Planning Committee, and we thought up the ACs. We're right now getting the ACs to where we thought, where we imagined it would be. Yeah. Uh, because we, we had the idea, but we didn't communicate that idea well enough for the people. And it got taken up by committee and got changed and, uh, you know. Everybody tried to be democratic instead of just saying, this is the way it's going to be. Um, and so the event wasn't what it needed to be for the sport for a long time. But I think now that we have it there, I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. 
That's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're Karen and I are very much on a very similar page as you with the bringing in sponsorship and the money and the television and the and the revenue. So, uh, you know, hopefully one of these days we get to talk a little bit off the air and you know share some more ideas and and right. You know, because that's well, all of that. You know, uh, it won't take a lot of money, but it will take some much more than we have right now. Yeah, and I'm hoping with the uh, with the new five star at Fair Hill. Um, or, or you know, it's not at Fairhill somewhere else, but I think at Fairhill. Um, and with the the kinds of venues that we have in the East Coast, I think that we're we're ripe to to attract a major, some major corporate money um, to some of these events that will make the sport sing. You know, so that we can afford to fly over teams or, or individuals, or we can entice them with prize money and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, Spruce Meadows. Let's face it, is way out in the middle of freaking alberta and it's in calgary <laughs> and right? it's like right? what the hell it's way out there and they have the best uh show jumpers in the world go there yeah they fly they fly in mm-hmm. why because the 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 site is exquisite and the competition is huge and the prize money is terrific so if they can do it we should be able to do it too we just have to get the right people involved to make that happen and unfortunately, nobody in our sport is trained to do that kind of thing. I think that's another one of those things that I, I get up on a, uh, on a soapbox about. We ask professional horsemen, people who teach people how to post or to use the outside rein and inside leg, we ask them for advice on how to run a sport. Well, that's a degree they give at Cornell and Harvard sports management and sports marketing and, and those sorts of things. Those are business school things. And, and our people aren't trained for that. We don't know how to do that. Right. We don't even know how to manage a, a, a television contract very well. So, and the people that are interested in the sport are that do know those things. They're already overtaxed. You know, they're already overstressed. They're doing their best. And, and, you know, I think Jim Wolf has a lot of experience because he's been there and, and I, you know, I would love to know what he knows. Um, but we need more guys like that who can, who can really make this place, make this sport sing and, um, and keep it going. Cause I want people like Joe Bowersox to be able to make that choice not to go to college and trust that there's going to be a, a, a world out there where he can get, you know, comfortably, you know, comfortable for his old age yeah. by doing horses. <laughs> we're, we're working really hard cause we're like, he's, we're going to be supporting him forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I I got news for you. <laughs> We're right. You got to you, you got to put a medal around. He's got to get a medal around his neck if he's going to be self sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, so true. But, uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, so, Packy, on that note, uh, do you have any advice for a young rider trying to make it in this sport? Um. Yeah, learn how to ride. Learn learn how to ride from the technical way um learning how to compete can come with experience but learn how to ride and learn how to learn to be a horseman um i think that's one of the things that a lot of people they they use you know oh, i'm going novice i'm going training i'm going preliminary they use that as sort of like the test to see how good they are and it's really they're only good as the one horse that they've had or the two horses that they've had if you can't quote, by the time you're 21, if you haven't read Harry Bolt or you haven't read George Morris's book, or you haven't read some of these, some of the tomes that have been written about riding, 
Um, if you haven't, if you're not aware of who Bent Lundquist is or, or Bert Denemethy or Bill Steinkraus, you need to go back to school for writing and you need to learn what it is you're doing. These are, this, this is a, one of the oldest art firms in the world. I mean, Xenophon wrote about it in the eighth century BC. Wow. He wrote one of the first treatises in, in, in Greek. And, um, and, you know, he, some of our oldest sayings, no foot, no horse come from him. And he talks about, he even talks about horse traders being dishonest. And, uh, so it's a, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful read, but this is one of the oldest, oldest art forms we have. The cavalries were a major piece of armed, uh, of defense for countries. They had to know how to take care of horses. They not, had to know how to keep them sound. They had to know what breeding lines were good. All of those things are being lost now because of the, uh, uh, when, they, when the motor vehicle came in at the turn of the century, 1900, the horse became obsolete in first world countries. At that moment, it is my belief that, that collectively, the American public knew more about horses than they do now. Way more. Because everybody rode. Sure. And everybody had a horse. Everybody had a carriage. Everybody knew which end to feed and which end to be, you know, what is it Oscar Wilde said? They're dangerous both ends and crafty in the middle. You know, <laughs> so it, 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 it's we're losing that art um, as we go forward. Um, and there are books and books and books written about it. So if you are a young rider and you're really, truly interested in becoming a professional or you think that this is going to be your life, you better start reading and you better start doing the kinds of, uh, you better have some curiosity that doesn't just come from the fact that you are Boyd Martin's groom or, or that you hang out with the right guys, that they're going to be able to tell you a lot, but they can only tell you what they know. Um, and there are, there's reams of information out there that, have, that has been published of people who, um, from people who knew, who made lives of this. Um, we don't have a book from Jack Lagoff that, that I wish we had. We have his memoir, but we don't have a horsemanship book. But we do have them from Jimmy Wofford. We have them from Burton Emethy. We have them from George Morris. We have them from, from Litauer. We have them from all kinds of Moosler's Riding Logic, one of the best books ever written. Um, Harry Bolt's The Dressage Horse. There's, these are really important pieces of information. So they, even if you don't own a horse, you can at least go learn what the definition of a half halt is or how to do a sh shoulder in or a haunches in or, or wrong fare, you know, it's a, so, so that when you meet somebody like me and I say, what is the training pyramid? You don't look at me like I have 10 heads, mm -hmm. right. you know, like I'm like, I'm in, like, what's that? You know, it's like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's where we are. Right. This is great. Now I, I can't tell you that I was any better than the kids today, but if I, if I had known what, then what I knew now, I've been picking up the books and reading yeah. and, and saying, well, I, I looked, I, I picked them up. I looked at the pictures. So, you know, it wasn't <laughs> until I was out of law school that I started to actually read books. Right. So, right. It was on the graphic um, novel. Uh... Right. Yeah. The graphic novel about riding. Oh, look, that's a, you know, he's doing a pirouette. Yay. Um, and the other thing is, as I, I would tell kids, don't be afraid to venture outside your comfort zone. Um, one of the best places to go learn about riding is to go to a dressage barn or a show jumpers barn and see what they do and how they do it. And I don't mean just any show jumper or dressage barn. Don't, you know, I, I don't know a single Olympian who as somebody who of any kind of caliber, who, if you pick up the phone and call them and introduce yourself politely and ask them if you could come study riding with them, 
um, and hang out with them, that they would say no. I mean, most of these people are very generous with their time and their knowledge, and they're happy to have people around. You know, you're going to have to pay for the privilege, but they're happy to have people around who are interested truly in learning. So you can learn things from all kinds of people in the sport. My my trainers, my mother was a Grand Prix dressage rider, so I, and Robert Dover was my first dressage teacher when I was 12, and he was, he says, 17. I think he was older. Wow. But, um, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I can remember him telling me what a half halt was then. And, and uh, because my mother had developed some Grand Prix horses, I got to ride Grand Prix dressage horses at home, but we also imported a few jumpers. So I got to ride Grand Prix jumpers as well. And I did this as a hobby in my spare time, but we always went where the horses went. So, and we knew these people. So Ann Krasinski was my trainer at over for show jumps and I got to ride with Bert Dinamethy for a few weeks during a summer once. And I got to ride with Jack Lukoff and I got to ride with all these very famous people who were, who were really, really enthusiastic about sharing what they knew with me. So what would I say to a young kid? There's a world of people out there ready to help you. All you have to do is just go introduce yourself and, and, and be available. So, yeah. That's, uh, but learning to ride is the biggest issue. You know, we have, you have to have, you have to be able to ride if you want to be able to win. Um, You're not going to be able to buy the horse. You're not going to be able to develop the horse. You're not going to be noticed by the people who matter. You're not going to be able to get sponsors unless you are an effective rider. And that takes practice. It takes devotion. So. Amen to that. Yeah. Good advice. I'm talking about. Heck Yeah. Well, yeah. Packy, this is fantastic. Karen, yeah, is this awesome? Well, it is great. Packy, we know that you know we 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 don't want to keep you too too late. So, in, in the, the closing question is, we just like to know how do how do people get a hold of you if they follow along on their social media or website for the farm? Uh, you know, looking in your breeding program. Um, we we tried putting a website up for the farm. I think it's still up somewhere, uh, but we lost track of it, like <laughs> as as one does. Um, I think that um, although I'm not as active on social media. Now, as I have been in the past, they can reach me through my Facebook page, which is just my name. And um, they're welcome to look me up in the uh, look our farm up in the or my my family's name up in the phone book for Central Maryland. Um, I'm happy to ha- you know if it, uh, I don't have um, I'll I'll train anybody like I said I'll train pretty much anybody who asks. Um, but I don't have horses to teach off of. I, I only have, I only take people with their own horses. You'd be surprised in central Maryland. You know, we don't have a lot of, I get at least once a, once a month, I get somebody calling asking for lessons, but they don't have a horse. Uh, so yeah. it's like, it's like, no, that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's a dying yeah. out They're They're getting fewer and fewer and far between, yeah. you know, we're fortunate. We have a couple up here in Cecil County, Maryland, where we're at, we have a couple different places and yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a uh, a service that I think needs to be uh, maintained. I really hope the hacking stables stay around mm-hmm. uh, because it, it offers people who don't own horses a, a great opportunity to go out and, and commune with nature and have fun. Yeah. But um, yeah, my my business, I'll pretty much teach just about anybody cool. um, as long as you're serious about about learning. And as long as you don't mind being um, spoken to in loud volume, <laughs> a, 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 
I think I have a well-earned reputation being the loudest person in the warm-up area. So. <laughs> ah, you know, you want to be heard, right? You know, Pony Club riding. Well, singers, I think I think people actually. It's not just how loud I say it; it's what I say. So frequently, I'll get somebody's attention by saying something a little bit off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, that is great. Thank you so much for joining us. I could talk to you for hours and hours, but uh, maybe uh, some, maybe we can get you on again someday. That'd be nice. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to. Happy to be here. And thank you for doing this. This is exactly the kind of in- innovation and, and the kind of thing that I think is important for a sport and that will help it grow. So I really appreciate it. Karen, as we wind down the show, I we got a very heartfelt message from... Uh, a member of the Major League Eventers Facebook group, and I just uh, it touched us both both very much, and um, we just wanted to read it and um, recognize this this post that was on our Facebook page. So, can you read that, please? Sure. This is by Ashley, and she says, "Just wanted to say thank you to Karen and Rob for having this podcast. My father had multiple heart attacks last weekend, and is working on two weeks in the hospital, and had a triple bypass on Monday." Meanwhile, I've got a three-hour drive back and forth from New Jersey to be with him. I listen to so much of the Major League Eventing podcast. Thanks for keeping me inspired and motivated as opposed to stressed. Your podcast does more than you realize. Well, Karen, that means the world to me. Yeah, it does. That is, um, you know, we feel so bad for Ashley and what she's going through. Mm-hmm. And um, we just are hoping and praying for her dad that everything goes good. And um, it's not an easy time that she's going through. And I'm glad that we're along for the ride and hoping to, you know, maybe make her stress a little ease during that long time. She has sure. a lot of time to probably think and to take her away a little bit. We It's it's our honor that 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 that. She chose us, right, Karen? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yes. You know, I recently had a heart attack, and thankfully, I didn't have those type of results. And uh, I lost my dad not too long ago. So it's uh, it's very sensitive. That when I read that, it was very sensitive to me, and uh, I don't like to get mushy on the show. But uh, I just wanted to recognize Ashley and let her know that. Um, we're we're really rooting for you guys over there. So please send send our best to Dad, Karen. Yes, right? Yep. And uh, anything we can do to help, just let us know. Yeah, shoot us a message. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or visit us at MajorLeakEventing.com. Cheers. <laughs>